Welcome to the Reproducibility Podcast. I'm William Niam, uh, one of the steering committee members of Reproducibility, and I'm uh, excited and honored to be joined by Priya Silverstein and Ane Ayegba, uh, who are representing the Nowhere Lab. And we're going to be talking about a little bit about how community is uh, incredibly important in research and uh, yeah, and talk about how the Nowhere Lab initiative started and how it's promoting community and things like that. Uh, so Priya, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be back on the Reproducibility podcast. Um, yeah, it's brought back, brought back a lot of memories for me actually because um, first time that I was on the podcast, I was like during my PhD and I think I just um, either published or just submit. Yeah, I think I just published my first replication study and was very angry about the <laughs> uh, replication <laughs> crisis and uh, uh, ambling on about, uh, rabbiting on about that in um, in the last episode. So yeah, it was <laughs> funny to think about. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have a background in developmental psychology. Um, uh, did my PhD in infancy research, um, and then uh, got really interested during my PhD in everything open science. Um, disillusioned with the developmental psychology literature and in general just became more interested in kind of the method side of things and improving the way we do psychology and social science more generally and more than any particular kind of research topic Um, and so I feel like I'm telling my life story (laughs) Um, and so go for it that's it's interesting yeah we want to know yeah um, so then um, so then after my PhD I did a short postdoc um, which um, I ended up leaving for a multitude of reasons. Um, and then I was in this weird position where I had this part-time job um, as a community manager for the journal editor's discussion interface, um, which I won't go like loads into. We can talk about it later if you want to, but um, for the for the moment, um, it, it is basically just a kind of um, a, a, an online community for journal editors to try and um, advance open science. Sure. Well, how about with... Uh... We'll ask Ane to um, introduce herself and then we can we can go from there. Yeah. Okay. So, hi. Thank you so much for inviting me for this um, podcast. Um, it's really great to talk here with Bria and you. Um, I think my path has been quite different from the traditional um, research academic um, path. So, I had my, I did my BSc in psychology in Nigeria. Uh, I finished in 2020. So prior to that, I used to volunteer for a mental health, um, non-governmental organization. So basically what we do is um, peer counseling. So um, people call in and then we help them through their issues because here access to therapy is quite expensive and not readily available. So Basically, my work transitioned from being a volunteer to being a staff there now. I've been there for over three years. So going on Twitter and seeing the Nowhere Lab, I think my friend sent me something, a screenshot of something of Nowhere Lab. And then she was like, oh, this is cool and you should join. But then I didn't join immediately, but I saw some tweets that the Nowhere Lab made and I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. And it was like a lab for people who are lacking the um, lab experience. And um, I really was anxious to join because I was like, I'm not really into 
research per se, although we do some research in my organization, but it was just fun to, you know, be with people who, you know, are on different paths, like Priya is doing her thing, other people are doing their thing, I'm doing my thing, and we all come to the lab meetings, and it's like all those things, you know, come into one huge goal, and it's very beautiful to, you know, be a part of being a member of the New Lab has been so fun. No, that sounds really, really cool, and it's it's yeah. it's great to hear that um, there's an, uh, you know, it's a, a place for, like, people from diverse backgrounds and like experiences being able to come together as one. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have that in mind when you uh, conceptualized this uh, initiative? Like where did it come, where did this come from? Um, yeah, I think um, it probably like came mostly from a need, a need that I had and then thinking about that I must not be the only one that has this need. So I was like in this transitional situation where I was in this kind of academic adjacent job, but uh, without this kind of regular lab meeting experience or or any kind of group community. I just had like, you know, one boss that I kind of reported to. And, um, you know, I was in like the Slack channels for the wider, like the wider group, but not really having any kind of regular communication with them in that way. Um, and so I thought, yeah, there must be other people in this position who just really missed that lab experience that I'd really enjoyed having during my PhD. Um, and so that's where, that's kind of where the idea came from. Um, I had no idea. I had some, well, I had some initial ideas of why people might be in that position. And so they, I kind of listed them as options for like, you know, you can join if you're any, in any of these situations, but I knew that there would be other things that I couldn't even think of. Um, so I think initially, yeah, I just, I didn't do anything. I just made, I don't think I even made like the Slack channel. I think I just said, I'm going to be doing this. I put out a tweet and said, I'm going to be starting lab meetings for people who don't have um, a lab. Um, so let me know if you're interested. And I got, yeah, like just dozens of people instantly replying saying they were interested. So then I thought, okay, I need to do something uh, about this now. So I quickly made a Slack um, and where we could kind of organize stuff and just went from there really. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh it's funny because I had uh, the reproducibility journal clubs. I think also similarly had a like, you know, with Amy, uh, Sam, and Sophia, sort of recognizing a need to create something. And I think effectively you could almost call it like there was no like meta science lab meetings or no open science lab meetings. So then they sort of made made their own, and that's really cool to see like people take initiative and do these kind of things. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, how many how many people come by the nowhere lab now, and who 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 like if you can say like what's the makeup like what's what's going on? Yeah, sure. So um, I think we have over a hundred people actually on the Slack, but much much fewer than that kind of attend the weekly meeting. So we have a lot of people who can't attend the meeting time. We we do rotate the meeting time to kind of try and accommodate different geographies, but um, but for people who can't attend for any reason, they often just do interact on the Slack. Um. But for the actual meetings themselves, it really varies. We can have, sometimes we have really small meetings, just, you know, three of us one week and then 10 the next. So it tends to be like a relatively small group, probably like quite a normal lab size, which works quite well. Um, But we just kind of adapt depending on how many turn up um, on the day. And we always do a bit of a like recruitment push whenever the, so we change the time quarterly and then we kind of try and advertise a little bit around that time to see if there's any new faces that can join um so we do it tends to kind of ebb and flow um throughout 
the quarter but yeah that's the kind of usual I'd say like average about five of us maybe a week um and the types of people it's really varied so we actually we have people who um are not on a kind of traditional academic path at all and haven't done a PhD um and then we have people who are master's students PhD students um working in industry um all the way to kind of lecturers and professors um so it's it's really varied um yeah um it's a really varied group we've got people from all populated continents um like yeah just it's really it's lovely to see like I get so excited when everyone's face yeah that's, pop up. that's so exciting mix of people you don't really yeah. you don't really see that like there's not a lot of crosstalk between disciplines slash countries slash yeah. backgrounds slash academia versus non-industry like that's pretty amazing that you've created that community <laughs> um was that like part of your motivation for joining in there? Like knowing that there might be like diversity in this group or like, yeah. How did you, like you mentioned there was a little uh, anxiety or like a bit of a barrier to join yeah. these kind of new initiatives. And I totally get that. That's, it's the same with reproducibility <laughs> journal clubs. Like, Oh, what kind of, what am I getting into? Um, yeah. So like what kind of like tip the scale for you? What, what kind of motivations did you have? Okay. So I think um, joining the Nowhere Lab, there's this energy that comes with, or, oh, you're free to be yourself. Because um, I think since last year, I've, I've always felt so bad anytime I miss the meeting because I just know that I can just come and, you know, be with these people. I don't think I've ever been in a group where, you know, a professor could be saying something and someone in physics could bring their own idea or someone in, in China who is taking an online um, program could bring her own idea and me who is in Nigeria working with an NGO could bring my own idea it's like what is this amazing mix of people who come together every week for this meeting the first meeting I had I had to do like an intro and I was like what am I going to say I'm not like a traditional researcher hard again to you know receive me am I going to I was just telling myself that if I attend this first meeting and I don't you know, like it, or I feel like it's forced, I'm just not going to bother with the second meeting. But the first meeting, I did the intro um, thing. It was really exciting. Everyone was really welcoming. And then just like that, we review, you know, articles, we review papers, and everyone just brings the ideas. And you're wondering, oh, I can see a bigger picture for myself. You dare to dream. You dare to, you know, open yourself to possibilities. If I can meet these people, just in this way, how much more can I do? You know, people come and tell their stories and you're like, oh, inspired. Okay, I could actually work on this. I could do this. And, you know, what else is there for me to do? There's so much to do. So, yeah, it's really, I get excited talking about the new way I love. <laughs> yeah, no, that, no, that's great. Like, it, I can totally see how that's, like, can be really inspiring when, you, and yeah. like, this is a bit cynical of me, I suppose, but I don't think that happens a lot in academia <laughs> where you get these like sort of supportive, empowering uh, yeah. communities. And like often this comes from having a diverse background, right? Like if you have everyone who's similar, you sort of get into an echo chamber. But with diversity, you get this really nice, like sort of different perspectives. And generally, if you get the right people, this will sort of be more positive and more supportive. And yeah, you do get this inspiration and motivation. Um, yeah, I think... I've noticed that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, 
yeah I, I agree I think like and I think another part of it is definitely like being non-hierarchical and I think like I felt a bit awkward at first like being the almost like quotation marks PI of the lab and being like just out of my PhD um and especially once we had people joining who were like later career than me then I felt weird like kind of still not that I'm bossy well I like to think I'm not bossy in probably, yeah but but like even just kind of you know just taking that floor and like kind of organizing things a bit like it felt it felt strange to have people who are later career than me in the room but like but it, that'd be okay um and for it to be so like community driven and not you know just what do people want and we'll do that rather than like you know everyone's opinions are just as important as each other like as cliche as that sounds like and I think that is that is something that you definitely get like more or less in different labs like I definitely know that there are labs that really do really well in academia for like trying to be non-hierarchical etc but I think like when you're embedded in such a you know you can do your best to be a PI in an academic lab and not not be hierarchical but those academic hierarchies still exist and you can't kind of ignore that outside of your own lab whereas I think because we like have a bit of a more external position that isn't really situated in academia it helps to be able to do that properly yeah how important do you think that maintaining that sort of uh equality in the in the lab lab meeting is and what what does that uh generate well you think like i can you've mentioned a little bit already well seems like sort of there's less judgments maybe not the right word but there's sort of that less less of that happening uh in the discussions which fosters some sort of more uh supportive environment where everyone can sort of say their say their thing so what yeah how like how do you see or how do you uh, what's your perspective on the importance of this equality in this kind of these kind of situations um yeah I think it kind of just offers like a safe space to I wouldn't even say make mistakes because it's not even like mistakes are happening but like it's just like say whatever you think and um have ideas and no ideas are too silly or like no one will think that you I don't know that anything bad of you for having an idea and like you know sometimes we'll just have a meeting and we just the stuff that happens in the meeting is all that comes out of it and that's fine and then sometimes it will really inspire an idea like Priya said you know you're 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 able to talk about things from your own perspective because you know your experience is not in any way less than someone else's experience everybody's experience is important and then when you see that you know you are free to say your experience doesn't someone else's um, experience doesn't invalidate yours it's easy to share it's easy to come up okay so we have we had we're working on this um, phd survival guide something that we came up with okay um to help people who are trying to get into a phd and so it's basically nothing until everyone started bringing out their own experiences so we didn't have any documents we didn't have any outline we didn't have anything we just started you know contributing someone said this this is what they think should be this is what they experience and we have a full document ready now and someone could pick it up and use it and it's beneficial to them if they were you know looking to start a phd i i i'm looking to start um I'm starting my master's in September and I can't tell you how much, you know, help and advice 
through the process and just getting my mindset right, just from, you know, talking to people in the meetings, out of meetings and, you know, getting, just, just knowing that, yeah, you can do this and then we are here for you to support you and you can always ask for help. It's just so um, good, so good. That's so wonderful. Um, yeah. Something that, that was striking is that, like, we've talked a little bit about the diversity, but then there's a shared commonality, I suppose, in with this, even if that wasn't maybe intentional or designed in any way, that seems to have come out of the Nowhere Lab. Uh, mm. is, that, is, that tr- is that true, accurate? Yeah, I think uh, so, because I think, like, you know, there's people who just pop in once or twice because they're curious, even if, I mean... I, we never say like you can't come if you already have your own lab like because you don't know what someone's experience is and I think it's like it's uh less dichotomous than that you know you could have a lab but feel really uncomfortable in it and you feel like it doesn't reflect you etc so we don't say no to anyone and you can you can tell that certain people just kind of pop in to see what it's like and then and then leave maybe because they don't need it like and that's and that's completely fine um but the people who tend to like come back week after week, like when they, at least when they can, like, um, yeah, I think there definitely is a commonality there because it's like this shared experience of like you're making yourself vulnerable by coming in the first place because you're saying yeah. need, you're saying I need this, like I need the sense of community and I don't have this elsewhere. And I think that once you've done that, then it does make there is a really special connection between the people who are kind of able to say that to each other. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I also loved like how once you've—I don't want—I was thinking collected, but I can't be right. Once you've like gathered, I guess everyone's like sort of experiences and see what's shared, you can really start and start these initiatives, like such as uh, this guide, which sounds amazing, um, and like you know have everyone contribute to this kind of initiative. That's really cool. We did something similar at uh, our local Reefy Disability Journal Club where we realized um, that the grad student guide from the university didn't have a list of like health and wellness resources. Mm. So we created a living document just collating everyone's uh, known like mental health or physical wellness resources, like what's available, what's around, and what how, how do you get these things and just sort of adding that to a living document. And that's that initiative came out of the realization that hey, we all we all don't know where to go. Like yeah. we all don't know what to what to do or how do we how to get these things. So uh, yeah, it's, it's that sounds really really cool. Uh, have there been any other initiatives or things like that that have come come through the Noah Lab? Um, yeah, well that yeah that sounds so cool. The guide that you're talking about, like that's oh. kind of exactly the kind of thing that we have where if we just realize there's a gap then we'll create something even if it's just for us and we don't want to make it public facing like I think that the PhD guide has probably been one of the ones we've worked on the most extensively so that would be the one that we're most likely and we do plan to like release it publicly if that makes sense but um but we often kind of create these things just internally as well um and then the other thing that probably will soon be public facing is um a blog post which NA is leading with another mm-hmm. master student um uh, Dwayne Lake. So maybe maybe you want to talk a bit about that. Yeah. Okay. So like you said, how you came up with um, the wellness guide from you know knowing that it didn't exist, something like that. So we were reviewing a paper um, in globalization of you know psychology. How do we make psychology more global? And then 
we just thought we all are in different fields. We are doing different things in the field of psychology, in the field of science and research. So how can we make psychology global in our own field? And then we started, you know, coming up. We had a hackathon and then we started coming up with ideas and then we decided to put it in a blog post so that, you know, when people yeah. read it, they would be inspired. Okay, this person is working in this place and they're trying to do this to make psychology more global. What can I do? So those kinds of things are, you know, they came out of, oh, there's a gap here and how do we um, fill that gap? And eventually I think it's like a boomerang effect. Other people would see it and be able to, you know, work on it themselves. Yeah, what what are some of those ideas? I mean, I I would love to know. Is there a teaser? <laughs> yeah, so I think I think it was kind of um, like things that we so a lot of I think um, I I can't I'll find the like links to the actual blog post. It was like a series of three um, that came out I think from the APA, um, and so it was talking about um, yeah it, they, they got quite a lot of kind of attention about um, uh, making psychology more global. And I think a lot of it was like big things that like universities or labs or like PIs or uh, other stakeholders can do. So we were just kind of trying to instead think about like, you know, we all have very different uh, positions and kind of amounts of power and types of power, usually a big lack of power <laughs> in, in our situations and um, the members. So, uh, but despite that, what could we do just as individuals? So um, it just depends on kind of what um, role and kind of resources we each have at our disposal. Like, for example, I talked a little bit about how, you know, just something as simple as like how you temper your conclusions in your research. Like I've been during my PhD doing this research about like how infants learn that they're being communicated to, which is kind of like these very big questions that are meant to at least be universal and yet you know I'm testing babies in not anymore but I was I was testing babies in uh Lancaster one of the kind of posh white parts of the UK and um you know um even just a sentence like just just trying to temper conclusions not that like not saying that there would be any reason to believe that these processes necessarily would be different in babies elsewhere but that just that we don't know like or that you know, this this is, you know, I am making these conclusions based on this sample. So something as simple as that is yeah. like, you know, something you can do with very little power. Um just just to kind of um yeah, at least make these issues more more well known and obvious and make people read your paper in that way rather than kind of ignoring that downside of, of your methodology. Yeah, like limiting like not overgeneralizing, I suppose, your like findings or conclusions. Um, yeah, that it's it's funny that you bring up like um, different stakeholders because I'm always thinking about how uh, early career researchers have little power, so to say, in this uh, in these like academic structures. But it seems like a lot of initiatives or um, sort of good ideas come from early career researchers, such as this one. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure where I was going with this, but it feels like, like how, how, how do you feel about the idea that uh, early career researchers sort of should take, you know, if they think they have a good idea, they should just go for it. 
or like, you know, sometimes we talk about these kind of things don't necessarily advance your career or that, you know, you're not, you're not working towards a publication in this mm-hmm. capitalistic <laughs> enterprise of science. Uh, yeah. So like, I'm, I'm curious to know, like how, like, you know, and they with like writing these guides and these blog posts, uh, you've starting this nowhere lab and other things you've done. Uh, yeah. Like where does that maybe, where does that motivation come from? And perhaps like what sort of got you to start? Like what, like we've talked about, there's a need for these kind of resources, but also like, yeah, where, where does the time, energy, motivation, where does, where, where does that come from? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know because, okay, <laughs> it's a lot actually. So here's what I think. I think that being in a community where, you know, you're with people who, when these kinds of things come up, they are quick to understand. They are quick to also, you know, contribute. It helps, it helps you, it gives you, you know, it, it gives you the motivation to actually continue. It gives you, you know, there's a space where you can actually conceive these ideas, breast these ideas, there's continuity. It helps a lot. So I think that support, that community alone, it's one of the most important things that pushes, you know, one to actually do these things. And Priya said something like group one time and it got me thinking, she was like, oh, this our early career researchers, the ones we have in the Nowhere Lab, like we have so much to do and anybody who's going to have us in their lab is going to be like very lucky. And honestly, that came from one session we had where everyone was just trying to pitch their ideas. And honestly, when I say I don't know where the motivation comes, when you get in the meeting, you just find yourself, you know, contributing, even if you don't have anything to say at the point, when you you know, read what other people say or what they write, you know, come the next meeting, you could obviously, you know, refer back and you just keep building knowledge and building knowledge. And sometimes, you know, when you hear people's experiences, you realize that it's not always about publications, not always about, you know, the capitalism influenced kind of, you know, goals. (laughs) There are some things that also matter. And yeah, so. I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that like it's it's hard it's definitely hard to balance. Like we never want to put pressure on anyone to like, you know, the mm-hmm. doing things like creating re- these resources or blog posts, etc. is always like an extra and it's always like something that isn't expected. It's not like, you know, if someone has no time to do if anything except attend the meetings, that is absolutely fine and that's the majority of the people who attend. Um if, you know, um, that's why we try to do some activities within the meetings themselves rather than let there be too much like homework or anything like that. Um, similarly, if you if people don't even have the time to attend the meetings in the first place, that's also fine and they can just um, interact on the Slack whenever they want. So I think part of it is definitely making it only kind of people's personal choice how much time they want to put into things. Um, from my perspective, I try to put in not too much time um, to Nowhere Lab and to all my other kind of sidey things at the moment just because... Um, basically like because of the way that I'm paid for the two jobs that I have at the moment like I can't work on side projects and get paid so this is always in like my spare time um which is very different from how it was like during my PhD I felt like maybe naively like I could just like get involved in anything I wanted and that was fine and I was still I mean it's not like PhD stipends in the UK are very generous but at least (laughs) it was at least it was like within you know my normal working hours um so it is a really hard thing to balance, but 
the thing that I try to think is um is basically like I'm just going to do the things that I enjoy and that interest me and then I'm going to see whether where that leads in terms of like does it lead to an academic job does it lead to a non-academic job in something that I also really care about and I think like one of the really uh refreshing things about Nowhere Lab is because you do have that mix of people who are in academia and aren't you are constantly like shown examples of exciting things that can happen outside of academia um and therefore kind of it makes it a bit less scary and makes you able to not think in as much of a tactical way about what you're going to spend your time on um and maybe the things that we're you know all the things we're spending our, our time on would make us even better academic candidates at the right institution if you know if things catch up quick enough but maybe they won't and that's okay too it's definitely not like a second class option like we're so excited when we see like anyone go and get an exciting job outside of academia like we, all we want to do is like hear all about it and kind of uh find out if it could be for us or um you know maybe this connection could be what gets us a job in the future who knows like yeah so I think that takes the pressure off, off a lot yeah that's so cool uh I love hearing of, of all of that and that sort of reminds me the importance of community in things like in all these initiatives like not necessarily just the open science movement or um, science reform or like diversity DEI things, but like that, the need for community. Um, is, there, is there anything that comes to mind that we haven't touched on already that um, community brings about? Hmm. That's a good question. I think the support, um, you know, just just knowing that everyone has a different perspective. For instance, you could be having a presentation and then you've worked on it for so long, you've tried to get all the facts right. And then you bring it to the community and then everyone seems to have something to say. And you're like, why didn't I think of this before? Or I think this angle sounds more interesting. So while there is support, there's also growth because I think, you know, you grow over time where when mm -hmm. someone says something, when someone shares something, you read it and you've never seen it before. That's gross. And that's, you know, it takes you from here to somewhere higher. And then when you find yourself in a conversation or in a position where you're meeting with other people from different fields and something comes up, you can say, oh, I learned that in Nowhere Lab and I can, you know, positively contribute to this conversation or to this project, something like that. So. Yeah. Uh, thinking about growth, that's important. Like, I think a lot of people get jaded in academia because they feel like they're no longer learning or no longer picking up new skills. Um, they sort of have to, they sort of start to lean towards churning output from the things that they've learned rather than continually learning. That's not totally true. It's a bit of a gross generalization of most of academia. But um, yeah, how important is this like uh, growing mindset or like um and also i think part of this growing is like openness like openness to ideas and things like that yeah yeah i think that like it definitely it offers a kind of like non-scary way to learn new skills like it's com it's completely fine if like you know if if someone does a workshop on i don't even know just up on r or something and then like for some people, it will just be like, oh, that was interesting, but maybe it's not for me right now. And for other people, it might be like what really like gives them the push to start using that in their own work. Um, 
and you know if things spark further interest then we'll have follow-ups if they don't we don't um it's quite a like low commitment way to get like a little bit of training in lots of different things and we use the skills within the group itself you know if I ever that's one of the things that um to my detriment maybe um like as soon as someone kind of mentions any skill I'm like hmm well you don't don't keep that to yourself like I hear you did you know maybe someone will go on like a week training course to learn something and then they can just do like an hour summary for us so that we all gain from it like and that also really helps with like you know resource disparities some people have like money in their research training grants to go to these things some people don't so you know it helps us kind of robin hood the situation a little bit (laughs) yeah okay i just remembered something okay so i'm still talking about support but like from another angle so we have this channel on our lower lab um slack group where it's like for rejections (laughs) Oh, yeah. So fine, mm-hmm. you know, you know, our field of you know research and work and applying to so many things, we get rejections like a lot of times. And then we have this group where if you have a rejection, you just come and share it, and everybody gives you flowers, like e <laughs> flowers though, like, and encourages you to like apply again. And then we hope to do something when it's up to hundred. Fear, don't forget. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I have to figure out whose idea that was. I think it wasn't mine. Like, it's such a good idea. The rejection okay. collection. Um, yeah. 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 Look it up after. So that's yeah. really supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Normalizing how to handle rejections is a really good thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose, um, I guess, I, I guess, where, how does one get connected to the nowhere lab how do we how do we how do we join what what are the first steps um well there's no there's nothing fancy so far it's literally just like email me or dm the nowhere lab twitter or dm my twitter um so i guess we can put all that information like under in the information for the episode i guess but like yeah it just just say that you want to join and that's pretty much enough for me and then you can get added to the to the slack um yeah um probably when we're on the topic of support like I think also one thing that we haven't touched on yet is like the more emotional support side of it which like isn't necessarily related even to like academic things or it is tangentially but like I think that um like what I was saying before about you having to be vulnerable to admit that you need the group I think like some of the reasons that people need nowhere lab um are already inherently like something that makes them able having to share something like personal about themselves or something um you know upsetting about their situation like whether it's that they like I mentioned a little bit before like have a come from a toxic lab or a toxic supervisor or um you know haven't have finished their PhD but haven't been able to find a job and therefore don't have a like new lab to be a part of or um or even like you know someone who might have been sick and therefore had to like take a break and um it doesn't have their own lab group because of that like there's you know there's so many different reasons that people are there um and then I think like so that supporting each other through that becomes like a really big part of it like and a big part of conversations um on how to you know how to deal with these really difficult situations that a lot of members are in yeah that like the emotional uh side of things is almost like it doesn't get f- 
featured enough, in my opinion, at least in discussions around like how our research processes were working. Mm. Um, so it's really cool to see that the Nowhere Lab does provide that support, like for those who are, you know, who won't get it in their sort of local circumstance otherwise. So, and it's really cool to hear that people who are sort of, who come to this lab recognizing the fact that they need this sense of community sort of add mm -hmm. to the support systems. There's no, there's no like only takers, I suppose, is the, what I'm thinking about. Um, it seems like everyone has something to offer, um, whether that is like a shared emotional experience, like we all experience rejections, mm -hmm. unfortunately, <laughs> when it comes to, to research and things like that, or other barriers. Um, toxic environments is definitely a difficult one mm -hmm. to deal with. Um, and being able to reach out to an external support system seems to be really important when it's like an internal local problem that is that people aren't getting support with. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think it can be like a nice escape if there's like, I mean, even though there are random connections within the group, you know, people end up <laughs> meeting, um, meeting people <laughs> that they knew, have known from previous, like, institutions or current institutions etc but most of the time it is a relatively like external group that is therefore like neutral on your kind of individual situation well not neutral just very much like pro you <laughs> in your situation mm -hmm. and um doesn't have the kind of awkwardness of trying to find allies within maybe a already toxic environment so yeah um i think it works well for that as well yeah really cool mm -hmm. uh were there any last while you have the uh, the the listeners audience's attention, is there anything you'd want to spruik? Um, some of our in our some of our episode other episodes, we've laughed about a spill the tea sort of segment where you can <laughs> rant and go off on, about something that's happened if you feel like. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, is there anything you'd like to like to share or um, like to say? <laughs> Do you want to rant about anything in it? I mean, it's, yeah, it's totally fine if you don't have anything, but go for it. <laughs> I don't know how juicy this tea is, this tea is going to be. <laughs> I, I block out, you know, the hour where I get to go for Nobel Lab meetings. And I just put relaxation because honestly, sometimes I just need to stop working and take an hour That's for so myself. True. <laughs> not just have anything else doing. And people maybe think I'm doing something else, but... Hmm, I'm just taking some time for myself. <laughs> yeah. no, that's that's so critical, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if I have any juicy tea on Nowhere Lab. Um and if I did I would be I would be a, a good PI and keep it secret um, <laughs> I don't know. Well we have had I'm trying to think. Um well we definitely had lots of I mean lots of Nowhere Lab friendships have started from um from from the group um and we have had one i think only one in-person meetup so far so um oh, that's abby, cool. abby was a noah uh, is a noah lab member and um and we met up so that was nice um and hopefully more as soon because um na is actually coming to do her master's in the uk so when she moves yeah. over here then yeah. uh, that will definitely yeah. nice meet up <laughs> yeah you form these connections that yeah. you can like yeah. like foster and hopefully you may not lead to anything but you can somehow end up being near each other geographically and end up meeting in person that's so cool like yeah um, yeah and actually uh, another connection that happened is that like 
I posted about um, a jo- like a job opening in 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 the Noel Lab Slack, and Dwayne ended up um, doing doing that job, and therefore getting like he's a master's student as well, and he got some work experience at the Centre for Open Science, so that was very exciting as well. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, love that. Um, I suppose this is a a good place to to end our conversation. If they have any last words, feel free to jump in. But uh, yeah, uh, if you'd like to tell everyone where they can follow you or find you um, and also where they can follow and find the Nowhere Lab. Yes. So let me quickly not get any of the handles wrong. <laughs> um, I think on Twitter, yeah, on Twitter, we're just the Nowhere Lab. Um, and um, I'm a Priya Silver ST, I think. But let me check. Yeah, that is me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about you, NA? What's do you want me to um, um, I'm quite a very small Twitter account. You can find me on um, <laughs> the NA Ayegba underscore. So, yeah. Small now, but soon. Soon to be an influencer <laughs> in, our, in, yeah. our, in our Twitter ecosystems. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for joining me that was an awesome awesome discussion I hope our listeners get a lot out of that and go check out the Nowhere Lab it seems like an awesome initiative alright thank you Will you listen to Reproducibility Season 2 Episode 3 The Nowhere Lab special guests this episode were Priya Silverstein and Enea Yekba who you can find on Twitter at PriyasilverST and at Inayekba underscore. Your host this episode was William Niam, who's also on Twitter at Will underscore Niam. This episode was produced by William Niam and edited by Jan Vornhagen. Find the Nowhere Lab at NowhereLab.com or on Twitter at The Nowhere Lab. For more information on the podcast and how to start your own journal club, visit reproducibility.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.